I'm Jim Kitchen. I'll be reading Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great, one, their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I want to welcome you as we gather together this morning. And um, hi, Jim. It's neat to see Jim and Tracy. Um, she put on Facebook, so it's okay to say, I hope, that they're expecting. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. And I, I, that video, just um, every time I watch that, I want to thank everyone who was part of that. Um, I don't think we planned it, although I should say we planned that Josie, who was singing, uh, was, was part of the video uh, right there, and so many of our people. Uh, it's really powerful. Last week, we started a new series uh, called Reflections, and Reflections Looking at Jesus. And, and the thing is, you know, every book of the New Testament is the product of someone reflecting on the truth of God in Christ. And each one of these authors of the New Testament, they're, they're trying to teach us something unique. And the more we understand that, then the more we start to reflect Jesus in and through our lives, which is the goal of discipleship, right? I mean, a disciple is a follower. So if you're going to follow someone and be their disciple, you, you go where they go and you do what they do. Our goal is to live a life that reflects Jesus. So we're looking at several books in the New Testament over the next several weeks uh, from the 10,000-foot view. And, and, you know, I think that's really important because we want to see the big picture of how each unique author is, is really reflecting on Christ. And, you know, so often we get really, really focused on the trees, and I think we kind of miss the forest sometimes. Last week we looked at the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at the Gospel of Mark today. And so it's my goal, I want to give you some of the major themes of the Gospel of Mark so that you'll go home and read the Gospel of Mark over this week. And, you know, Mark's Gospel is, is most likely the first Gospel that was written. It's certainly the shortest of all, by far. You'll find that out this week. And, and it's not only that it's, it's short page-wise. I think it's, you know, just a few pages, really, may, maybe 20, I doubt, in most um, of our modern translations. 
But not only is it short, there's, there's this feeling of immediacy in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and, until you get to the Passion, everything's rushed. And then once you get to the Passion, it's like time stops. The author uses this phrase, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, over and over and over and over again. Caiuthus uh, in Greek. And, and in the first chapter alone, he uses this phrase, and immediately, 12 times, just in the first chapter. It's like almost 70 times in the whole gospel. Jesus did this, and immediately this happened. It makes Mark feel very rushed. Until, like I say, you get to the passion. And then it's like time just stops. Because that's his goal. He wants to get us to the cross as soon as he can. There's a reason that Mark has been called a passion narrative with a long introduction. You know, Mark's gospel, it's about the cross. His main point, everything else is just giving us information that we need to get to the cross. He doesn't have a lot of the teaching material that like Matthew and Luke would have. Um, Jesus teaches in Mark, don't misunderstand me. But Mark really focuses on Jesus' actions. The majority of Mark is found in Matthew and in Luke, and, and pretty much all of Mark is found in Matthew and Luke. That's why Matthew and Mark and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels, and that means they're similar, very, very similar. A matter of fact, a lot of scholars think that Matthew and Luke most likely had a copy of Mark when they wrote their story. Traditionally, thought that Mark was written by John Mark, who was one of Paul's companions. And there aren't really any other major contenders uh, to be the author anyway, but, but it makes a lot of sense the more you understand the story and the more you understand Paul, that the author would be John Mark. Because, you know, Paul's main focus in his letters is always the cross. So it would make sense that a narrative that was written by his travel companion would have focused on the cross as well. It's like he goes hand in hand, Mark's gospel and Paul's letters. It's like Mark wrote the story of the cross so that Paul could explain what the story means. On the big picture, there's really just two major themes in the gospel of Mark. The first eight chapters really talk about who is Jesus. And then the second eight chapters, why did Jesus die? First eight explain who Jesus is, and then the second, really, it's about the cross. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Son of God. Why did Jesus die? Because he was the suffering servant who gave his life as a ransom for many, as described in Isaiah. Jesus is also the suffering Son of Man that we read about in Daniel, who ushers in a new age. First half of Mark's gospel is the powerful son of God. Second half of Mark's gospel is about the suffering servant. His largest goal is to understand how those things balance out in the Messiah. You think of it, by definition, a crucified Messiah means it's a failed Messiah. But Mark says that Jesus is the Messiah, not despite the cross, but because of the cross. Now, Mark is a master storyteller. I remember one time, uh, I was just so blessed. I saw a man who had memorized the entire Gospel of Mark. 
and he, he wore like period garb, like you know, the first century, and, and he, he just told us the story. Like we were sitting around a campfire in the middle of the desert in the first century. And it was an incredible experience hearing it and, and imagining hearing that story for the first time. I mean, you know, not knowing anything at all about Jesus. Not knowing anything at all about the cross. This man stands up and he starts to tell the story. This is the beginning of the good news of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And then you're in the story. And Jesus is baptized and God speaks. This is, you are my son, the beloved in whom I'm well pleased. And then immediately, Jesus is thrown out in the wilderness for 40 days by the Spirit. And in Greek, it's like he comes out of the water. And the term in Greek, it's the verb to throw a ball. It's like balo. And it's like the Holy Spirit just picked him up and threw him in the wilderness in response to what happened in his baptism. And it's like he's trying to figure out what happened. He takes 40 days out in the wilderness and he comes out of the wilderness after 40 days of temptation. It says he proclaims the good news of God. And he says, the time is fulfilled. Kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And immediately, Mark says, people start to do just that. They start to follow Jesus. And the strangest thing happens, and Justin talked about it a little bit, over and over and over again. Jesus will heal people. Or Jesus will cast out demons. Or Jesus will heal a leper. And after he does these things, the strangest thing happens. He said, don't tell anybody anything. In Greek, it says, don't tell nothing to nobody. Over and over again. He'll heal a leper. And he'll say, don't tell anybody. But as much as Jesus downplays these miracles, his word spreads. And two things happen in response. People flock more and more. And then he starts to experience significant conflict with the church leaders of the day, the Pharisees. To the point they want to kill him. The crowds are looking for miracles. So many people, he can't even teach. So he'll just leave. He'll like sneak out of the area at night. Now this is huge in Mark. So Jesus will perform some type of a miracle, and then they'll say, don't tell anybody. And then the, peop- the Pharisees, they're threatened by these miracles, and so the people, they just want more and more and more and more. It's called the Messianic Secret. That Jesus doesn't want anybody to know about his power. Now why? I mean, if his goal is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, you'd think people would listen if he, they saw him do these miraculous healings or exorcisms. But he doesn't want to be known as a miracle worker. He wants to be known for something else. Something that hasn't happened yet. We know who he is. I mean, the narrator, he told us at the beginning of the story who this is. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But the characters in the story, they don't know. And we watch as they struggle to figure out who he is. And we watch as the disciples start to follow him. And then they mess up over and over and over again. Like this passage that Jim just read from Mark. James and John 
they say, we want the position of power, the position of honor when you come into your glory. We want to sit on your right and your left. Right before Jesus asked, or was asked this by James and John, he just said for the third time that he would be handed over, that he would be mocked, that they would spit on him, they would flog him, and then he'd be killed. It's like they didn't hear. He was describing the moment that he would come into his glory. The moment they would hang him on the cross. Because that's the type of Messiah he was going to be, the crucified Messiah. The one who gives his life. He didn't want to be known as a miracle worker. The moment of his glory would be the moment he gave his last breath, dying so that others would live. That wasn't a type of Messiah anyone could ever understand until after it happened. That was the reason he told people not to share about his miracles. I mean, he could even perform miracles, of course, no question. What, was that the type of Messiah he would be? No. They couldn't understand the type of Messiah that would be hanging on a cross. He tried to explain it to his disciples. They didn't get it. They, they wanted to be on his right and his left. In his moment of glory, they said, the moment he would become king, who could have foreseen that the cross would be a coronation? There was a sign that hung as he died, said, King of the Jews. And two men joined him, one on his right and one on his left. I wanted us to see that video. There were thieves sentenced to death. One at his right, one at his left. I mean, James and John, they didn't know what they were asking to be there in the moment he came into his glory. Just like those who sought miracles as cures to their problems didn't understand. Jesus said, if you would be my disciple, you must take up your cross and follow me. The thieves on his right and his left, they were exemplifying what a real disciple would be. But nobody in the story understood. No one could have ever understood the Messiah of the cross, a suffering Messiah who served to the point he gave everything until he breathed his last. That's the reason that Mark wrote his gospel, to explain the suffering servant, to tell the story of the Messiah of the cross. I mean, the people wanted a Messiah that would be a miracle worker. James and John, I mean, if you follow the story, they wanted a Messiah that would start a political revolution. Someone that would lead them against Rome, establish Israel as the world-dominant leader. No one could fathom a Messiah of the cross, which is why Jesus told everyone, don't tell anyone. This isn't who can save you. 
Mark wants to understand his mission was not the exorcisms, it wasn't the healings, it wasn't even raising the dead. These miracles, they were a byproduct of his love for people. But you can't understand the type of Messiah Jesus came to be until he came into his glory. God promised Abraham through his descendants all of the people of earth would be blessed by his descendants. James and John, they would have been very happy if everyone was defeated and subject to Abraham's descendants. Their understanding of the Messiah was completely wrong. God had a very, very different vision that he called Jesus to carry out. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why Mark wrote his gospel, to explain the story of the cross. At that moment, I came across the, the best, I, I'd never heard this, I don't know if it's true, total, total full disclosure, but, and I tried to find a video, there was a video of it, and it just wasn't going to work, but it's how foxes get rid of fleas. Do you know this story? Anybody know if it's true or not? Okay. So, this is how a fox out in the wilderness gets, gets rid of its fleas, is it'll find, a, it'll find a branch, and it'll stick it in its mouth, and then it'll go into a creek, and then it'll just kind of slowly, slowly walk deeper and deeper and deeper into the water, until eventually, the only thing left is the stick, and all the fleas have gone up to the stick, and then it just lets it go. Really, that's how Mark says Jesus draws all of the sin upon, of the world upon himself, and then just releases it, doing something we can't do for ourselves. First half of Mark's gospel teaches who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. The second half of Mark's gospel teaches why he went to the cross. God's kingdom is an entirely different sort of kingdom than anyone could have understood. And Jesus is an entirely different type of king than any power had ever been experienced. And its principles are exactly opposite our expectations. I mean, we're like James and John. We want positions of power in terms of the strongest, the richest, the one everybody bows to. Jesus is not a Messiah that seeks to be served. He's the Messiah who serves and he calls those who follow to do the same. People want a Messiah who would miraculously deal with their problems, fix their problems for them. Jesus is the Messiah who gives his life so they would be forgiven and they would forgive others in the same way. I remember when I heard Mark's gospel recited. 
I tried to really listen as if someone had never heard the story before and didn't know, and it's so obvious who Jesus is. I mean, right at the beginning, God claims that this is my son. I mean, you know who he is. But the story characters don't, and the storytelling is so good, you can't believe it when you get to that moment that they take him away. And you can't believe his trial. You know he is not guilty. And then they beat him, and then they mock him, and they take him away to be crucified, and you expect legions of angels to descend, and, and, or something, maybe even all the James and the Johns, they appear out of you know, the crowds, and they rise up, and they take over. Anything but what happens. Because that moment that he breathes his last breath, it doesn't make any sense. Until three days later, and you hear the tomb's empty. You're forced to decide for yourself, is this Jesus of Nazareth who died on a cross a very good man, but a man who died unnecessarily? Or is this Jesus Christ, the Son of God, takes away the sins of the world, and then you realize if legions of angels would have saved the day, or if thousands of James and Johns would have appeared out of nowhere and led a revolt, the truth of Jesus' teachings, like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, his teachings would have been lost. God's kingdom would not have been experienced. But a servant Messiah who ascends to glory through a cross. That's something the world had never experienced. A kingdom of truth and a kingdom of integrity. Until Jesus, crucified Messiah, meant a failed Messiah. But Mark explains on this cross... Jesus showed something completely different. He was the Messiah called for a thousand years earlier in Isaiah 53. Isaiah described the servant of the Lord who would go like a lamb to the slaughter. Who would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we would be made whole. He would take the sin of the world upon himself so that the world could experience salvation once and for all. You know, more than any other gospel, Mark teaches that Jesus was the servant king from Isaiah 53. And he chose the way of the cross. And he calls his disciples to follow. Because Jesus' followers, we're not just supposed to study this stuff with our heads. We're called to follow with our lives. The point of Mark's story, we have to decide for ourselves if we're going to follow the servant king. In Jesus' hour of need, in his hour of glory, his disciples, they just failed. James and John were nowhere to be seen. And Mark demands, will you follow? Will you give your life to discipleship? To follow him? 
Will you be his agent? Will you claim his victory was won by showing the world the way of a Messiah who saves by giving, by serving, by offering? Like the original disciples were called to take our cross and follow, and they failed. Will we fail? You join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this suffering servant who came in the most unexpected manner, who taught the most unexpected truths that we're to forgive, that we're to love that we are to share, that we are to put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. Lord, we thank you for the mystery of the cross, that you've taken our sin and our shame away, and that you call us to pick up the cross to carry. Give us strength, give us courage, give us your spirit. In your son's name we pray, amen.